we inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to AFA at the Core. I'm Rick Green. Thankful to be with you this afternoon. To learn more, PatriotAcademy.com is my website. I'm a former Texas legislator and America's Constitution coach, and thrilled to be with you this afternoon and a part of American Family Radio. Thanks for listening and being a part of the solution. You know, it's easy to just complain about what what's going on in the world. Lots of negative we could talk about, and you do have to talk about that sometimes because you got to know the good, the bad, and the ugly, and be eyes wide open about what's happening. But it takes a little more effort to actually be a part of the solution. So just by listening to American Family Radio, you have stepped up to be a part of the solution. And of course, always we're going to educate, equip, inspire you to get out there and take further action in your community, whether that's at your church, getting involved more in your local community. It might be elections, it might be the political realm, but it might be just other things in the community, you know, stepping up and helping your church to be the epicenter of the community once again, meeting the needs of the community where the church does such a better job than government could ever dream of doing. We know that empirically. We know that statistically. We can look at the data and know that when you do things God's way, he never said for government to take care of the poor, never. Uh, He said that we should do that. We individuals and through our church should do that. And when we do that, it's twice as effective. The the money and the, the things, the food, everything gets to the person in need twice as effective when we do it than when government does it. So I just use that as an example, throw that out there and say, hey, look for a way in your community to step up and be a part of the solution. You know, some people are, uh, I guess you, you don't know sometimes when, when God's going to put a situation in front of you where you need to have been prepared to step up and be a part of the solution. So many different ways we could discuss that. I mean, financially, you know, to have good work ethic, do everything that is Colossians 3.23, the best that we can as unto God, not unto men, uh, you know, preparing, saving, so that when that need comes along and there's someone in your church or your family that has that need, that you, we have the ability to, to meet that need and to help them. It, it, it may be that there's an immediate uh, dangerous situation, and, and by training and preparing, maybe it's um, you know, doing, uh, doing the work and taking the classes to be able to deal with an, a, a car accident or someone hurt in your home and, and, and having that first aid experience to save a life in that moment, but you had to prepare ahead of time to be able to do that. And a uh, story to today that just, just happened yesterday in Indiana, another example of being prepared so that if in the moment the wolf shows up, that you can defend and save and protect the sheep around you, the people that, that weren't prepared. And exactly that happened in Indiana yesterday. Another one of these mass murder events, crazy guy shows up, uh, starts to shoot up this mall in, in Indiana, and there's a, a trained good guy with a gun, which is what it takes to stop a bad guy with a gun. Not just a good guy with a gun, but a trained good guy, somebody that actually knows what they're doing. Apparently this guy was only 22 years old. I'm anxious to learn more about him, but he stopped the bad guy who would probably have killed dozens of people. He had multiple magazines, um, you know, don't know yet much detail about about the guy. Uh, three people did, in fact, die, and, and it's horrible. But just imagine, I mean, how many lives were saved because there was someone there, a citizen. This was not a, a police officer. This was a, a citizen who was prepared, who had their handgun license, had their handgun with them, and was able to take out 
the threat. We saw that happen in West Virginia the day after Uvalde, and 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 no one died other than the bad guy because the, this lady there was was prepared. She had her firearm. She had her license. She had thought ahead. Uh, really, Proverbs twenty seven twelve that being the wise person that foresees danger and takes precautions, not the fool that walks blindly on and suffers the consequences. Big big difference between those two, and I would argue that pretty much anywhere in the United States right now. Um, you would be a fool if you don't realize that there is danger and therefore we must take precautions. So no matter where you live, I mean, especially if you live in a, you know, in a place like New York or, or certainly New York City or Chicago or, or play, you know, Detroit or Dallas or, or Houston or places like that where crime is through the roof, absolutely there, you know, the, the danger is there. But, but I think what changed my mind 10, 12 years ago, I used to think it was only in those places and when I started reading and studying and realizing, you know, four, you know, to anywhere from from you know million and a half to four million violent crimes a year in America, and it happens in little towns like mine. I mean, I live in a you know Dripping Springs, Texas. Used to be the country. It's growing rapidly as all the Californians want to move to Texas. But uh, I used to think, you know, not in our town, but no, small towns like ours, this kind of stuff happens. And so I think you just have to recognize there's danger everywhere. Not be paranoid, but take precautions. Be wise. Take precautions. Don't be the fool and walk blindly on. And obviously, this young man in uh, Indiana did exactly that. He took precautions, and therefore, he was able to save. Who knows? I, you know, I would argue dozens, potentially dozens of lives there at that mall in Indiana. And and I think this is why people are beginning to realize. You know, I would I would trust that in a mass murder situation like that that it's more likely that a citizen is going to be there already, ready and able to, to save lives than even the police. We, we, we've kind of, you know, I guess for decades, bought into this idea that the police will protect you wherever you are. And that's, of course, physically, financially impossible. And it's not possible if you want liberty because you wouldn't, you wouldn't want a police officer, you know, stationed in your car, riding with you everywhere you go or in your home or, or even on every street corner. That becomes a, a police state. And I'm a back the blue guy, but believe me, but I think we're beginning to realize this whole idea of just depending on government, which is what the left wants you to do. Um, every time you hear the gun control folks, talk about taking away your ability or making it harder for you to have a firearm to defend yourself, they always rely upon the fact that government will protect you, that somehow a police officer will be there to protect you. Michael Bloomberg, you know, several years ago said uh, the police are the only ones that know what to do in these situations, and so therefore they're the only ones that should have the guns. Well, we saw in Uvalde what happens. Uh, even when you're three minutes behind the bad guy, dozens of people die. And in that case, you, you know, safety being our highest value, those police officers waited in the hallway for an hour and 14 minutes. But even in the situations where they do their job well, where they where they storm in three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes uh, later and take out the bad guy. Well, for 10 minutes, how many people get killed? So you, you want to have a sheepdog, a citizen, an armed citizen that's trained in every grocery store, restaurant, Walmart. I mean, wherever you are. And of course, you can't plan to have one. You just have to start making the culture recognize more trained citizens with firearms will stop these mass murder events much faster than relying on the government or any gun control measure because those measures don't stop mass murder events. They just make it harder for you and I to be able to, to defend ourselves. And so the, the examples, I mean, it happens constantly. There, you can, you can, I should spend a whole show one day just rattling off the statistics and telling the stories of the trained citizens that stop these mass murder events. I've talked on the air about Stephen Williford and other examples 
but but actually, here's a statistical, just a, I guess a poll. You can tell that the attitudes are changing out there. Our friends over at Convention of States Action, they do a, a poll every week with the Trafalgar Group, which is the most accurate polling group in the nation. They, they got the 2016 election right. I mean, they're just they're really, really good. Uh, anyway, they just did this poll about, you know, who you would trust to protect if there was a mass murder event happening, a shooting happening. I don't like using the terminology of the left. A shooting is not, you know, shooting a gun is not an evil in and of itself. A mass shooting takes place every time I go to the range. So mass shooting is the wrong term for these events. It should be mass murder event. It's using the firearm in an illegal, evil way. And that's why you have to be able to then turn around and use the firearm in a good way to save lives, to put some gun violence on the bad guy. So our terminology is important. But back to the poll. 41.8% of surveyed voters, quote, believe that an armed citizen would be their best protection if they were caught in a mass shooting event. So that's I'm quoting. So I have to use that terminology. But only 25% say local police would be their best protection, while 10% say federal agents and about a quarter said none of the above. So what that tells me is that that you know people are watching these examples. They're 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 reading the stories and they're realizing that every time the mass murder event stops quickly it, within seconds, it's because of proximity. I actually uh, you know did an article recently with with Daily Wire on this after the Uvalde incident, where that was my whole point was that proximity is the number one factor in how many lives will be saved or lost in a mass murder event. So if you have someone in proximity to the dirtbag when they start shooting, then you can stop the mass murder event quickly. So in West Virginia, none of the good people died. Only the bad guy died. In all of these situations, if you have someone in the store, a citizen right there on that aisle or somewhere in the store that can then um, stop the threat, then you save lives. My friend Mark Meckler over uh, over at Convention of States said, Americans watched in horror as an active shooter was permitted to rampage through a school while the police stood outside and did absolutely nothing. Mark went on to say over and over again, citizens are given the clear message that when it comes to protecting loved ones, you're on your own. At the same time, we're told guns are the problem and we should give up our right of self-defense. So he's exactly right. The left wants you to give up your right of self-defense while at the same time hearing story after story of the police either being minutes away when you need them in seconds or they get there and they wait for an hour. So do not depend. And I'm not I'm, please don't call in and, and say that I'm anti-police. All right. I got my brother-in-law's a sergeant. I'm very back the blue throughout the whole BLM burning of cities in this country. I stood with our police. So I am a I'm a very. Uh, back the blue guy and pro police and, and certainly against all the defund the police and all that. But everything has its jurisdiction. Everything has its proper place and its proper role. And you cannot depend on the government and the police to be able to defend you in the moment. And this poll shows that most people actually agree with us on, agree with us on that. So that's, I think, very encouraging because I hope the next step then is, if you would have been one of the ones that was polled, I think it was over 1,000 people polled in this thing, if you had been one of the ones that had been called on this poll and you had said, yes, I, in fact, I do think it's an armed citizen, a good Samaritan, a, a sheepdog, we would say, that is more likely to save lives in this situation. Well, then the next thing I want to ask you is, are you a sheepdog? 
If you realize that you need more sheepdogs, are you a sheepdog? Are you getting trained and getting your license to carry and making sure that you are prepared? Don't be the fool that walks blindly on every single one of us. And I'm telling you, we have trained from 10 years old to over 90. I've had 91-year-olds go through the course with us. Over 5,000 people have done our constitutional defense course in the last few years. And that's where we do the handgun training during the day and then constitution training at night because we want to philosophically understand this as well. So I just put the challenge on you. If you were nodding your head as I was talking about that poll, if you were nodding your head in agreement with me when I was talking about the fact that it'll be citizens that actually defend more likely than the, than the police, then next, are you prepared? And if not, then get prepared. Find somebody there in your community that, that does handgun training. Don't just buy the gun and run out and start carrying it. Get the training. There's probably somebody there in your community that does it. Uh, come with us and, and join us. We have a great time. We do. I mean, we have really good fellowship. It's like-minded people from across the country coming together for uh, five days and, and uh, really, really good training. And then, of course, I teach on the Constitution, as I, as I mentioned. So if you'd like to do our course, join us. PatriotAcademy.com is where you go to find out more. We're not doing one for a couple of months, though, so find somebody local and get some training right now. I think our next one's, uh, I want to say, end of September, maybe early October. Uh, we're headed out to New Mexico again, which is just beautiful. Had a great time out there in May doing a class out at the Whittington Center, we call it. It's the uh, the NRA's Whittington Center. Beautiful, beautiful place. 30,000 acres. Just wow. I'm looking forward to going back in September and October. But we are building our own Patriot Academy campus where you'll be able to come train anytime of the year. And Lord willing, uh, pray for us and donate and do all that good stuff. And hopefully we'll be doing those by January of next year. Well, I'm looking forward to chatting with you. You can call in if you've got a comment or question today to 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. Another poll I'm going to talk about as soon as we come back from the break, and it's uh, it's about the whole Convention of States issue and, and reining in the federal government. Looks like a vast majority of the country is with us on this. They, they realize that government's out of control and they want to rein in government. And so it looks like uh, this is the time. I mean, we've been pushing for this for, for 12 years now, uh, but it's just uh, one of those moments in time where this incredible tool in the Constitution that's been available to us, never been used, but thankfully the founders gave it to us, it's there. We need to learn more about it. We need to make sure we do it right. Uh, but it looks like most of the country is with us. That doesn't mean it's just going to happen. It's still going to take a lot of hard work to, to make this happen. But this is the tool for saving the Constitution and, I believe, saving the republic itself. So we'll talk a little bit about that and how that works. And then we'll talk a little bit about the principles of liberty, because this week I'm at Patriot Academy. I've got students from across the nation with me in Phoenix, Arizona. We're at the state capitol in Phoenix conducting Patriot Academy. I'll tell you a little bit more about it after the break. Stay with us. You're listening to AFA at the Core. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. According to a recent study published by the Christian Post, 76.3% of all abortions are obtained by, quote, God-fearing women, unquote, with 68.7% who identified themselves as Christian women and 18% of all abortions obtained by self-described born-again or evangelical women. A corresponding CareNet study found that many women with unplanned pregnancies go silently from the church pew to the abortion clinic convinced the church would gossip rather than help. America's greatest need is repentance. 
when the hearts of the American people turn to God, everything else will be impacted. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. There's a saying that has been popular on Pinterest boards for years. She believes she could and so she did. While it's the anthem statement for empowering girls to chase their dreams, might it seem a little misleading? What if instead we change that to, she believes she could and so, capital H, he did. Luke 145 recounts that Elizabeth, overcome with joy, proclaims, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. What has the Lord promised your girl? What has he called her to? In the midst of goal setting, life planning, and self-discovery, your girl may find he's calling her to something that feels so out of reach, but remind her who is ultimately in the driver's seat. He is encouraging her and enabling her to make it happen. Like what you've heard? Learn more about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality is changing hearts and lives. It speaks directly to the power and the grace of God. It gives me hope for people that I know that are struggling. The whole idea of In His Image has moved me. We actually had one gentleman contact us and he said that this film changed his mind about this issue. We had a pastor reach out to us and he said that he'd been struggling with hatred in his heart towards people in the LGBTQ community. And this film helped him to realize he needed to have compassion and show people the love of Christ. We also had this same sex attracted couple contact us and they said after seeing the film, they wanted to live obedient lives for Christ no matter what. And they said, please, Please pray for us. We know this is going to be hard. We've even had people come to faith in Jesus through In His Image. To find out more, visit InHisImage.movie. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to AFA at the Core. I'm Rick Green. Thanks so much for joining us. We are talking about the principles of liberty and how to apply them and what our job is as citizens. You know, we've got a responsibility, not only as we talked in the first segment, to, to be prepared, to take precaution. As we mentioned, Proverbs 27, 12. Uh, it's actually, as uh, producer extraordinaire Bobby and I were talking on the break, it's actually in two places in Proverbs. So interesting that the exact same. It's important enough that we get it twice. So it's also in Proverbs 22, 3. And uh, lots of different versions, of course, out there. But the New Living Translation is the one that says, A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. I don't want to suffer the consequences. I certainly don't want my family to suffer the consequences. So we take precautions. Uh, But as I was saying, as a citizen, it's not just, you know, in the first segment, we're talking about being prepared in situations, whether that's, you know, trauma type situations and having some, some sort of, um, you know, not necessarily full paramedic training, but, but some sort of training to be able to deal with, with things and potentially save lives, but also be able to uh, defend and, and stop a threat. If there's a, a threat to your family, that you're a sheepdog that can stop that threat to uh, prepare financially so that if there's a need in our community, that we can meet that need for, for folks in our church. So all of that is just, um, I think, being a good citizen and, and being prepared to help our neighbors in need. 
and, um, and, 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 and also potentially serving in government so that the community itself is more prepared, so that our government is a government that thinks like that, that thinks biblically, so that financially we're not running up this massive debt that we have right now where we can't, cannot meet needs or if we were in a war situation, uh, that it would be very, very difficult for us to have the finances to, to, to deal with that, to, 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 to have things in our society that are uh, done in such a way that, that it protects citizens instead of taking away their rights. So I don't know what God's calling you to do. I'm just here to say, hey, be prepared. Uh, take precautions, don't be the fool, and start looking for ways that you can be a better citizen in your community and serve your friends and family and neighbors in a better way. If you'd like to join the conversation, it is uh, the phone number is 888-589-8840. Already got some calls coming in. I'm going to do one more poll real quick, and then we'll jump over those polls, uh, jump over to those calls. The, um, the Convention of States Action Group also did a poll about just Convention of States in general. Should a Convention of States happen? Should we rein in the federal government. The question was basically, would you support a convention of states to propose constitutional amendments, quote, focusing on term limits for Congress and federal officials, federal spending restraints, and limiting the federal government to its constitutionally mandated authority? Now, I will um, say a few things about limited government. What does that actually mean? Because I think the wording in that poll is very, very important. I think that was wise the way they put that. I'll come back to that, hopefully, if I remember. Uh, but the answer to this question, this is this is shocking to me because I have been doing this for 30 years out there in this arena. I have I've been ad advocating for a convention of states to rein in the federal government and restore the actual Constitution and overrule the Constitution. That's the one that's been made up by judges for 50 years. I've been advocating for this heavily for about 12 years, ever since I started doing the Constitution classes across the country. And I'll tell you, when I first started doing this in my classes, it was usually zero for it. I was the only one. And, and, and over the course of years, not because I was it, you know, teaching it so well, but just because it was changing in the culture, I started seeing, okay, now 10% are for it. 50, and, and mostly it's been 50-50 in these classes. Well, this poll now says 81% of Republicans are on board with the concept and 50% of Democrats support the concept. 63% of independents support it. So this is a huge, huge good news kind of thing. I mean, this is, I, I'm, I think this gives us hope that we can get this done and actually get to a point where we rein in the federal government. I mean, if you think for a minute that the federal government that is way outside its boundaries, last night at Patriot Academy, I was teaching the young people about what limited government is, and there are 17 enumerated powers in the Constitution for the federal government. That's it. 17 things the federal government's doing. They're doing about 1,700 things, maybe 17,000 things that are not within their jurisdiction, that the Constitution does not authorize them to do. Now, do you think for a minute that the same federal government that stole that power, that started doing those 1,700 things without permission, do you think that a federal government that took power from the states and from the people and started doing these things without permission will ever give it back willingly? Oh, they're not going to just say, oh, you know what? We messed up. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that we stole that power from you. We, we, we want to give it back. And now you've got a chance that a criminal will feel guilty after robbing things from your home and come ask for forgiveness and give things back to you. I mean, it, it happens one, one in a million. All right. It, 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 it does happen. God can work miracles. I don't you don't have a chance that government as an entity would do that. Are people in government that were willing to steal power from you? will do that. It's never happened in all of human history. 
And so the founders knew that, and that's why George Mason stood up on the 15th of September at the Constitutional Convention in 1787 and said, hey, if the Fed's steal power from us, we have to be able to take that power back and overrule them through constitutional amendments without them having any say whatsoever. And that's exactly what they put into Article 5. That is the method. That is the tool that we have at our fingertips if we will use it. But we have to be willing to use it. And that's the movement called Convention of States right now. Uh, it's, a, it's right there in Article 5, a convention for proposing amendments, and then it has to go back to all 50 states to be ratified. So this convention doesn't get to just change the Constitution willy-nilly. The convention just talks about ways that they would like to modify, uh, and, and I would say modify is probably even the wrong word, to clarify the original intent of the Constitution, restore jurisdictional lines, limit the federal government, and they put those ideas on paper, and they send them back to all 50 states, and 38 states have to say yes. 38 states is a lot, folks. That means you only need 13 states to say no, to actually shoot down an amendment. So bad stuff is not going to come out of that convention and actually get ratified by 38 states and make its way into the, into the Constitution. And, and frankly, great stuff, the stuff I'd like to see, a pro-life amendment, uh, other things like that, a parental rights amendment. Those are things I'd love to see get into the Constitution, <clears throat> but they're not going to happen. So you're not going to get 38 states to ratify those amendments. So what we have to go for are structural amendments like what this poll is asking people. The, the, the structure kind of set the table. Who has the power? Who gets to decide? I was teaching the kids at Patriot Academy last night. That's the, the two-word question you should ask every time you're talking about any issue in government. Who decides? That question will, will determine jurisdiction. Who has the power? Who gets to make the decisions? And what needs to happen right now is the answer to that question needs to stop being the federal government. It certainly needs to stop being federal bureaucrats or even the president or even Congress. It needs to come back to the states and to the individual and to local government. And that's what a convention of states does. So I'm super excited about this poll. I hope that means that some of these, I'm trying to say this a nice way, these stubborn, boneheaded legislators that will not do a convention of states. I don't understand it. A state legislator should have, out of self-interest, a motive to do a convention of states so that the feds don't have the power, but that state legislator has the power. It pulls power back to the very body that they sit in, the very legislative body they sit in. I just don't get it. I don't get it. There's, I mean, because these are some of these are conservative legislators, and they have caught been caught up in the lies about how a convention of state works. Uh, states works, and and they just they just dug in their heels, and logic is not working with them. So pray for them. Pray that state legislators all over the country will join the movement. We've got 19 states that have called for this convention. We need 34. That means we need 15 more states. So let's get to work, folks. Let's make this thing happen. Okie dokie. Let's head to the phones. First up is Lynn in Arkansas. Lynn, thanks for calling in from Arkansas. Go Hogs, go. I'm originally from Little Rock. Don't tell anybody because I'll never be able to have influence in Texas again. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Hey, Lynn, how you doing? Hi, doing good. Um, yeah, I wanted to know, um, in your opinion, since you are from Texas, what you think of the job Governor Abbott is doing with the border issue and what he could do that he's not doing? Well, it's a great question, Lynn. It's uh, you know certainly a, a, a huge issue. Um, I, based on polling data, it's the most important issue. It's the it's the number one on, on virtually every poll you, you you take in terms of what people are concerned about, what they want their legislators to pay attention to. And unfortunately, I have to rate 
Governor Abbott as a D, maybe. That's probably the grade I would give him. It would have been an F up until about 10 months ago, uh, and we put enough pressure on him from across the country and, and, and within our state that he moved from an F to a, to a D. Uh, he's doing some, uh, a, a few things, but nothing like what he could be doing. If, if, if Ron DeSantis was governor of Texas instead of Florida, we would have already sealed the border. Um, th- th- there's a constitutional provision that gives governors the ability to do this whenever the state, whenever the federal government doesn't do it. The, the, the first line of defense is the federal government. It's proper, I think, that, that the federal government be responsible for national border, uh, for our national border. And Article 1, I mean, Article 4, Section 4 gives them the authority to do that, uh, repel invasions, all that good stuff. Article 1, Section 10 gives the states the ability to repel an invasion whenever the federal government isn't doing it or doesn't have time to do it. And clearly they had time to do it, but Joe Biden made it clear on day one of his presidency that he wasn't going to do that, stopped the building of the border, stopped us from stopping people from coming into the country. I mean, just terrible, terrible policies that are um, the pain that's being caused by this. I mean, I don't want to spend the whole program on it, but it's it's horrific, folks. It is evil, evil stuff that's happening at the border right now and then all over the country because of the border being open. So Governor Abbott um, has has done some things. He's he's you know, there's a few places along the border where they've taken action and they've detained, you know, some folks and just basically, you know, turned them. It's the same as catch and release. Same thing the federal government's doing, essentially. Uh, But they're they're doing some things. So at least he's taking some action. But it's it's you know, it's pitiful compared to what needs to be done. And so I hope that the pressure keeps mounting. He wants to run for president. And so he's, you know, just kind of follows the polls or whatever he thinks will make him popular. That's pretty much what he does. So he shut down Texas while he thought it would make him popular. And then eventually after a year of us hounding him and and demanding that he stop being a tyrant and a king, he finally opened up the state and actually blamed everybody else for it. So, you know, not a Ron DeSantis who uh, also shut down Florida for a little while, but then said, in very little while, said, this is not right. The science doesn't back this up. I was wrong. Let's not do this again. So uh, if you're willing in politics to, to, to say I was wrong and take responsibility and then turn around and be the best governor in the country for the last two years and do everything. I mean, he's Ron DeSantis has been phenomenal. And so Greg, Greg Abbott's kind of followed DeSantis a little bit on some of those issues because the polling shows how popular DeSantis is among Republicans and the presidential polls at CPAC. Uh, you know, DeSantis comes in second to Trump and, and Abbott gets zero every time. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, most politicians, that's how they operate. You, you, you never, as my friend Bob McEwen, former congressman from Ohio, says, you never trust a politician any further than you can throw them over your shoulder left handed. <laughs> so no matter how good you think they are, you don't put your trust in politicians. And, and so... You put pressure on them and, and you use influence and you you make sure they know we're going to hold you accountable and we're going to rally people against you if you don't do the right thing. I mean, that's just the, the process. That's how it works. And so that's kind of how we've managed to get some good stuff out of Abbott is just uh, putting the pressure on him. And he's done some good stuff. I mean, he supported Convention of States. He, he's, he's signed most of the pro-life legislation that has been pushed his way and, and once in a while actually gotten behind it and, and supported it. Most of the time, you know, we, we have to get it done without him and then we finally get him to, to sign it. But and, and I shouldn't be so negative on him. I mean, compared to a Gavin Newsom, he's great. Compared to a Gretchen Whitmer or a Jay Inslee or some of these horrific tyrants in these blue states, um, Greg Abbott's good compared to them. But for Texas, Texas should have 
an incredible governor. Texas should have had, uh, you know, Don Huffines or Alan West. We should have had a governor that would have sealed the border, that, that would have done school choice. I mean, there's so many things that Texas should be leading the way on. The polling in Texas, 65% of Texans want school choice, and we cannot get our legislator legislatures to do it. We can't get a governor that will that will push for it. Um, you know, I, I, I've complained about Doug Ducey in Arizona for the border issue and, and for the COVID shutdowns. But by golly, he got school choice done. He got the best school choice law in the country done. They just passed it in Arizona. It is incredible. It is such a good school choice law. Um, so, you know, every politician is going to be, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you and nobody's perfect, and I wouldn't be perfect. You'd have things you'd complain about me, but I'm sorry, Lynn. That's a really, really long answer to your question. I guess I'm just trying to, you know, not just uh, give you all the, ba- all the bad and the ugly, but a little bit of good uh, with Governor Abbott. Okay, back to the phones, and if you want to join us, 888-589-8840 is the phone number. Mark in Virginia is next. Mark, how you doing? Thanks for calling in. What's your comment or question? Yeah, there's been a lot of talk that the Democrats would like to turn D.C. and Puerto Rico into a state. And I'm thinking that you know the legislature can't do that on their own, that I'm thinking it's probably a similar process to amending the Constitution where the states would have to vote on that to allow other states to join the union. So just wonder if you could comment on that. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, it is it is a legislative decision. So they could do it. If they can get the votes, they could make Puerto Rico a state. They could turn D.C. in a state. Now, D.C. is a little different. I think it should be a constitutional amendment for D.C. because there's actually language in the Constitution specifically creating Washington, D.C. as the seat of federal government not to be a state. It's intended to be separate from states so that you don't have favors with what whatever state they're in and you don't have conflict with um, what, who has the control. It's all back to that question, who decides, who has jurisdiction. So Washington, D.C. was never supposed to be, be a state. It was always supposed to be a special place, seat of federal government. Um, and, and they know, the Democrats know, if they make D.C. a state or Puerto Rico a state, it's going to be Democrat. And so they're just looking for those two additional United States senators. So they, they could do it legislatively, unfortunately. That is where the power resides on that issue. Um, but so far, we've been able to stop that. If we can hold that out until um, January of next year, you'll have a, a Republican Congress and, and prevent that from happening. Uh, Puerto Rico, you can make an argument for it. It's a bad financial move for sure uh, for the United States to, to do that, and, and I think and not a smart move. But you can certainly make an argument for it. D.C., I would, I would, I would rally against and, and fight against that because of the constitutional provision and just because of the wisdom of the founding fathers and not um, making it a state and, and allowing it to be that that special place. But that is that is such a good question, uh, Mark. I, I, it's one of those things that 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 we 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 should be teaching. We should be talking about. And most people don't even think through what you just you just thought through. I, I appreciate you calling and asking that question. We we need to know this process and we need to know. Um, what is proper, not just what might be good, not just what we think, oh, well, there's you know several million people there in D.C. They should be able to have representation in Congress, which they kind of do through delegates that don't have voting rights under the Constitution. But, um, you know, so, so we think, oh, they just should be able to have, and we don't think about what are the consequences of that and why is the structure designed the way that it is. So I really appreciate your question, Mark. And folks that want to dive into that a little further, we cover it in our Constitution courses at patriotacademy.com. You can take either Constitution Alive or Biblical Citizenship in Modern America. And it's free, by the way, free to be a coach, free to host the class, free to take the class. So please do that. You don't have to know anything about the Constitution or law or history. You just become the lead learner, get the people in the room, turn on the video, and we'll do the teaching. Stay with us, folks. If you want to call in, 888-589-8840. You're listening to AFA at the Core.
What does the American Family Association stand for? AFA believes that all men and women, whether in private or public, should be free to exercise their faith without hindrance from the government. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. Hello, I'm Sam Rohr, president of the American Pastors Network, a growing national network of pastors committed to the authority of Scripture and preaching the whole counsel of God. We believe biblical obedience is the foundation for revival and impacting our culture for Christ is our duty. For too long, the pulpits of America have been silent on the important issues such as marriage and family and assault on our liberty. Join us in the battle for truth on Stand in the Gap weekend, Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. on American Family Radio, and visit us at AmericanPastorsNetwork.org. If you haven't switched to MediShare yet, two big reasons to at least consider it and why it makes so much sense right now. Number one's inflation, which is just affecting everything. And it makes sense to say, okay, where can I actually save? Well, you could save a lot in one fell swoop if you switch to MediShare. The typical family saves $500 a month. Secondly, your conscience. MediShare members aren't forced to pay for things they don't support or believe in. And that's a big deal for a lot of people right now. They want their money to actually help people. And one more reason, you can trust MediShare. It's been the gold standard for healthcare sharing for more than 25 years. It works and members love it too. It has double the customer satisfaction rating compared to health insurance. So now's a great time to consider making the switch and they're very easy to talk to. MediShare has great customer service. You can even get a price within two minutes. Here's the number. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Science, where'd it come from? This is Ken Ham, often interviewed on radio and TV on the Bible's reliability and authority. This week, we're going to be answering the question, what is science? But first, we should know where science even came from. If you study the history of the scientific disciplines, you'll eventually find a father of that particular field. And it's likely it was a creationist. You see, most of the pioneers of the various sciences were Christians. And they believed God's word, or at the very least, theists who believed in a creator God. They reasoned that God created an orderly universe so we can study and learn about how it works. Many pioneers wanted to bring him glory through their study of creation. While much of science today is atheistic, it didn't used to be that way. Discover more about science and the Bible when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com and subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to AFA at the Core. I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach. Thanks for joining us on the program. You can call in with your comments or questions to 888-589-8840. We'll get back to the phones in just a second. I want to say one more thing about uh, Mark's comment about uh, D.C. becoming a state or or Puerto Rico. There's another issue on the on the statehood thing that uh, I think is going to be. I hope is going to become 
um, talked about more and more, and that is some realignment. And, and, and what I mean by that is there's some movements across the country. There's one called the Greater Idaho Movement. Uh, there's other efforts. I think there's three counties in, I think it is Maryland, that are wanting to uh, essentially be annexed into um, West Virginia. I can't remember. There's a couple of other places like that. And, and, and I love this idea because I'm really, I'm really for people of, of – for communities of interest to be able to, it's kind of that First Amendment right of assembly, not only at, for a meeting, but where you live, for you to be able to be in an area that shares your values. And so you take a state like Washington, the state of Washington, where Seattle outvotes the rest of the state. Most of Washington is is conservative, is, is Bible-believing, Constitution-loving, you know, American values folks. But then Seattle, you get Chaz and all these crazies and, and, and they outvote because of the population, the rest of the state. And so you end up with a legislature that backs up this nonsense and passes laws making, and making it hard for police to do their job and all kinds of other crazy, crazy things. And so there's parts of Washington on, on, on the east side that, that want to basically be annexed into Idaho. There, there's parts of Oregon that, that want to do that. So it's called the Greater Idaho Movement. That's about all I know about it. But what I can tell you is constitutionally, here's how that would work. The legislatures of any state whose, whose boundaries would change, they have to vote for it, and then Congress has to vote for it. So it's, it's a double whammy. There, there's uh, you know, basically two steps of approval that have to happen. And all of this you can find in, in Article 4 of the Constitution. That's where it, it covers how states are admitted into the union and, and, and um, you know, basically it has that language about, well, let me just read it to you. New states, is Article 4, Section 3, new states may be admitted by the Congress into this union, but no new state shall be formed or erected within the jurisdiction of any other state, nor any state to be formed by the junction of two or more states or parts of states without the consent of the legislatures of the states concerned, as well as of, of the Congress. Now, that hasn't happened in, in 200 years, essentially how uh, West Virginia was, was formed. Uh, one other, I think, that had a, a, a slight change. And, and, of course, D.C. actually came out of of uh, Virginia and Maryland, uh, both. So anyway, all of that to say that Congress has the authority, as, as the question was about whether or not an entire um, territory uh, would be admitted into the Union as a state or D.C. itself turned into a state. So uh, Mark's question, uh, the answer is Congress could do it without uh, a constitutional amendment. But what I find really interesting is the possibility of states um, either realigning like the, the whole Greater Idaho movement or splitting into multiple states. You know, what if California were to split into three or four states so that the, you know, conservative parts of California could could have a conservative legislature and live like they want to live? And the wacko part of uh, of California could 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 be crazy if they want to be crazy. Uh, maybe even Texas. Now, that's a harder sell because Texas is, is a state of mind and and it'd be a lot harder to, to convince Texans to, to split up. But I just think I think we got to think outside the box, folks. I think we've got to start thinking about the future of our country and the future of liberty and start thinking about ways that we can stay together as a nation and not split up and certainly not have civil war. That would be a nightmare. So people that call for that and want that from both right and left because they're sick of each other and hate each other. Please, please, please think about what you're calling for, because a civil war would be horrific. Um, and, and so we've got to think outside the box and say, how do we keep the nation together, but yet allow for this div diversity of thought and this, these, the, these divergent views and allow states to have their own personality the way the founders envisioned it? That goes back to Convention of States, as we were talking about earlier in the program. You have to get the feds out of these areas. You have to get them out of micromanaging our daily lives. They should only do, the federal government should only do 
what the Constitution gives them authority to do. And it's things that uh, one state could not do on their own. Things like protecting um, your, your authorship of a book or your invention of a, an, an artistic piece or your invention of a, of a patent of some scientific discovery, you would want to make sure that that was protected in all 50 states. And that's why the founders have that language in Article 1, Section 8 about protecting your invention or your creation uh, for a certain amount of time. That's what we call patents, copyrights, trademarks. That is a proper federal purpose, a proper federal role, uh, protecting the border, immigration laws, bankruptcy laws, the military. Those are all proper things for the federal government to do. But that's about it. There's not much that you want the federal government to do. They're, they're, they're all about protecting from the outside and, and protecting, you know, ma making sure that we have free flow of commerce across state lines, that sort of thing. Everything else, folks, should be up to your state legislature or up to you as an individual. That's basically what the Tenth Amendment says. Anything not listed in the Constitution, it's left to the states and the people. And so I love this question from Mark. It's got me thinking a lot about this whole state thing and, and, and being able to realign some of these states so that people can live amongst people that, that share their values and have laws that reflect those values. And some of the states, we've just gotten too big. I mean, the founders were concerned about whether or not a republic could survive with 50 million or more people. I mean, remember, there was only 3 million people in the United States when they started this thing. 330 million people? It's very hard to make a constitutional republic work effectively if you let that republic do everything. So if we go back to being a constitutional republic that limits the feds, we can make this work. We can stay together as a nation, which we need to do to be able to defend against China and all these other. There's a lot of reasons why you want to stay together as a nation. Uh, but then let the states be individualistic and possibly even realign those states to be smaller states. Okay, let's go back to the phones. I think we have Mike. Uh, Mike in Texas. Mike, how you doing? Thanks for calling. What's your comment or question? Uh, yeah, hello. I'm calling from uh, Spring, but I'm from the Woodlands. All right. I was uh, just in the Woodlands <laughs> just a few weeks ago. I was at a convention there. Go uh, ahead, from man. Grogan's Mill. So, uh, born and raised right. there. So anyway, uh, uh, my question is that, uh, so I work, I'm a maintenance guy, and I do work all over the Houston area, and I run into all kinds of people. But I've noticed that different people, because I talk to people, I'm openly conservative and Christian, and they always bring up the either abortion or education. My question is, what do I tell them when it comes to Texas and our educational system and how diverse my kids are? I have two kids that live in Magnolia from a, a previous div like a divorce, and I'm in spring right now in the Aldine Westfield area and it's it's far it's more middle ground and the more you get into the middle of Houston the more liberal it gets. How do I explain to them what we should do about our school system given the diversity just from Magnolia, which is not that far from Houston? Through Tomball yeah. and such, all the way to Houston and then I'm right in the middle. I'm I'm in between I forty five and fifty nine, right here in the Fairfax area. So like how, how and do, when you how when you I say let, let, let me clarify your let me get you to clarify your question, Mike. So you you mean in terms of how do you improve the education system when it's so diverse in the communities, or, or, or what exactly do you mean? What do we do about the education system? Okay, uh, well, a lot of conservative radio that I listen to talked about the ability to be able to have uh, school choice. Ah, okay, yes, that nature, and yes. it's really difficult to explain to them what that means. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. 
Yeah, let, the easiest way is to say to your to your friends that, that start talking about education is wouldn't you as a parent like to be able to have options for your child's education and be able to choose the education, the school or the program that best fits your child's needs instead of having a cookie cutter system where every child goes through the exact same system like an assembly line. And instead, the kid, you know, the school and the teachers and the parents are all able to uh, uh, allow that kid to, to, to pursue what they're best at and what they're interested in, their learning style, all of those things. So the simple question is, as a parent, wouldn't you like the choice to be able to choose the best school for your kid? And then for the system, for the overall education of the state, isn't it better to have competition? Doesn't competition make everything better? Name one product that is not made better by competition. Every time you have a monopoly, the product gets worse because there's not an incentive to draw the customer to you. You don't. You don't. You're not constantly improving. You're not constantly making good deals for the for the consumer and the and the, and the customer. And and education because of the monopoly of public education, the, the the product itself became terrible. I mean, and and I'll say this to parents themselves when it comes to education in Texas: get your kids out of the public schools. There, there is not a single public school that I am aware of. If you have one, you, you can show me that, that I'm wrong, and I will gladly talk about that school. There is not a single public school in the nation that I know of um, that I would want my kids to go to. They, they have the, the entire public education system has been taken over by leftists, and they have infiltrated even in the small towns where you think, oh, my local school, they're a good school. They still teach the good stuff. Because they remove the Bible, because they remove God, because they remove any concept of right and wrong, by law, they made it impossible for your school to teach good values. And so get your kids out of the public schools. But that doesn't mean not pay attention to the public schools. There's still going to be 80% of the kids going through public schools. So we still have to pay attention to the policies. We still need to be running for school boards. We still need to be trying to get the best education possible for the children in our community. But for your own children, that you have the authority, the jurisdiction, that question we always ask, who decides? You decide the best education for your child. Get them out of that public school, homeschool, private school, whatever option you want. It's not expensive anymore. You can make this happen. There are ways to do it. There are so many uh, resources and people that will come alongside you. And then push your state legislators to pass school choice like what Governor Ducey just did in Arizona so that you can take the money and go wherever you want. In Arizona, I think it's eight or nine or $10,000. Every child, that money will now follow the child as it should have all along instead of just been uh, limited to whatever the, the local um, monopoly school was. Now the money goes with the kid, and you can go find a school that meets the needs of your child and take that money with you. We should be doing that in every state across the country. Texas certainly should be passing something like that. So if there's any Texas legislators listening, I'm sure Governor Abbott is probably listening to my program. Ha! Yeah, right. Um, yeah, but, you know, let's get that done in Texas. Okay, let's see if we can get a couple more calls in here before we close out today. Uh, I think we've got... Another, no, we had Mike. Oh, it's Gene. Sorry, Gene in Iowa. Gene, go ahead, man. Yeah, it's been said that the uh, Supreme Court uh, is in there for life. but and, and the president. Don't they all take an oath and the Constitution? And when they break that oath and the Constitution, shouldn't that be an elimination of that party from office? Yeah, you know, the, the Constitution actually says that judges are appointed, quote, for good behavior, so not for life, as you said. You know, like you said, it's not for life. It's actually for good behavior, 
And one of the things that should be considered bad behavior is violating their oath. <clears throat> and we've, we just don't do it enough. We should impeach them. They should be removed. Uh, we've, we, I think it's 19 federal judges have been impeached over the years. Uh, we should do it more often. Absolutely, Gene. You're right on, man. Um, and same should apply to the president. The president violates his oath. I think right now the fact that he's allowing the border uh, to, to, to happen like it is and refusing to do his job as, as president uh, I wish that that Congress, you know, it's clearly a political thing. There's no way you've got the votes to impeach him, but there's a dereliction of, of duty there. Um, all the stuff with with China and his son Hunter and and the money that flowed to his family um, as a result of 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 his political power, those, those were impeachable offenses. So there's things there that that could be done, but it's um, you know, it's just politically not not likely to happen. Uh, let's try one more. We've got. Uh, I'm gonna see if I say this right. Is it Navelle? Is that we Navelle in Texas? Go ahead. Yeah, it's Neville. Thank you. Neville, okay. Like uh, like Neville Chamberlain. Gotcha. No, not anything like Neville Chamberlain. <laughs> I was wondering. I was hoping you'd catch that. Okay, good. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, um, well, I've got to meet a couple to get out of the way. I have not been to your Constitution course, so you may have talked. You may talk about these things there. But your your comments about states realigning brought up a couple of things to my mind. I wondered if in your Constitution course you talk about Abraham Lincoln's wonderful speech to Congress in favor of secession back when Texas was in the process of fighting off Mexico to become independent. Do you, do you deal with that? I, I, I have, You're saying his speech to Congress, this would have been when he was serving in Congress uh, in like 47, 48, 18, 47, 48? What, is, is that what you're talking about? Yes. Yes, when he was in Congress. He made a, a wonderful speech um, declaring that any people anywhere and any subset of the people had the right to throw off the government and form their own government when the government didn't suit them any longer. No, I haven't. I'm not familiar with that speech. I mean, that's that's very similar to the language in the Declaration of Independence, of course, when you have a, a long train of abuses and usurpations that, that leads to tyranny, that that, uh, that you have the right to throw off either, as the Declaration says, alter or abolish that government. So, you know, I think that's that's essentially what I'm calling for is not an abolishment. I'm, I would be against that, but, but for an altering of that government and those jurisdictional lines and who has the power. The, the, the whole altering of who decides yeah. is the peaceful way to change our government and, and, and to get the decision-making power back into our, our hands. But I'm, I'm very, I'll look up that speech. I'm, I'm very curious if it was in, when he was in Congress, which is when he yeah. learned from John Quincy Adams how to end slavery and why he became so anti-slavery. Um, you know, and, and, and John Quincy Adams had been fighting for it for you know 17 years total, I guess about uh, uh, 14 years at that time. And thankfully, even though John Quincy Adams died and did not get to see an end to slavery, he passed the torch to Abraham Lincoln, and Abraham Lincoln would, would be the one to implement that plan later on. Uh, but that's why when John Quincy Adams was asked, great way to end the program, by the way, John Quincy Adams asked, was asked, why are you doing all this? You're, you're not succeeding. You're failing everywhere you turn because he had had no success in ending slavery. And his answer, folks, is the same answer for us when we get frustrated. Duty is ours. Results are God's. Duty is ours. Results are God's. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach. You've been listening to AFA at the Core. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.